Welcome to the Question Community Broadcast. The Question is a new disruptive community that provides a gathering place for those who wonder about our complex selves, our complex world, our complex universe. We are a non-religious and inclusive community that explores the many questions surrounding truth in order to encourage you on the important journey to find your own answers. The Question Community gathers every third Sunday evening at Redbush Tea and Coffee Company in the Kensington neighborhood of Calgary, starting at 7. Information on the community is available at our website, www.thequestion.ca. You can also join the community online at our Facebook page, which is The Question, and on Twitter, at TQCom, with two M's. You're now going to hear some highlights from our community gathering, where the question is asked through original arts and music, as well as thought-provoking presentations. This is Jeremy Park. Listen, before I go on, I just I want to say that you are a freshly spackled wonderful. Your smile is a living show home community, and your eyes welcome people at the door and offer them a brochure. Your nose is a perfectly fitted bungalow. Its glasses are not going anywhere, like old money. Your eyebrows are a majestic eagle that soars overhead on still gliding wings that flap once, just once, when I tell you the news. The news, the news, I have to tell you the news, but before I tell you the news, uh, just know that the news is not like your smile. It is not a welcoming street. It is a gated community that stares at people through a security booth. Its nose is narrow, sharp, and steep. Its glasses keep jumping off the bridge. But the news, I have to tell you, also soars overhead. It's just a different bird entirely. But before I get to the news, I have to tell you, I just want to comment on how beautifully shaped your elbows are. They are bent perfectly like a corrugated aluminum rain spout. And your laugh is round and whimsical like the rock garden in the center of a cul-de-sac. So just know that when I tell you the news, I have to tell you, you're going to want to walk out like the basements in units 11 through 15 overlooking the golf course. Because like your, your corrugated elbow, the news is easily bent. And like your whimsical rock garden laugh, the news, I have to tell you, is smack dab in the middle of everything. And the news, I have to tell you, just signed up to be the neighborhood watch. And even though you aren't really a threat, it's kind of itching to kill someone. So when you encounter the news, I have to tell you, maybe don't move too suddenly and put down your hood and keep smiling that block party smile. And just between you and me, like don't tell the news, I have to tell you that I told you this, but fuck the news, right? And I mean, the news, I have to tell you, let's just agree to first acknowledge how perfectly you've staged the disposition of your living room, the living room of your disposition. And if your counter arguments are anything like your countertops, you have nothing to worry about with the news, I have to tell you. But the news, I have to tell you, is I'm moving out at the end of the month to go live with the news. I'm sorry, I know it's just the news offered me an incredible deal, everything's included, so I don't have to think about anything. I don't want to have to think about anything, you know? I don't want to have to worry. And I mean, I know I'm going to have to worry because I'm going to wake up every morning and there it is, at the kitchen table, the news, wearing those pajamas, talking about the future. And of course I'd rather live here with you, but it's just, it's, it's time in my life to start thinking about something a little more distant. You know, a, a little more removed, something a little further from the news, but closer to the, the news, you know? Thanks. I knew you'd understand.
You always know how to take the news. Uh, that came out of a, a writing workshop, and one of the, I believe the prompt was things that you can uh, go inside of, uh, which I can't remember now how that translated to this, but uh, I think we were supposed to uh, personify, some, or I said something, and, said, and, and I was told that that sounded like it was, it was to a lover, and so I, uh, I, I kind of thought in my mind that that wasn't really where I was going, but I decided to embrace that suggestion and, uh, and sort of take um, my, uh, my love-hate with, uh, with information and, uh, and sort of talk about it from moving like from one secure uh, <laughs> relationship or insecure relationship to another one. And so I personified the news and personified whoever I'm talking to. And uh, uh, part of my truth is that uh, there's a lot of uh, information out there and um, and it, it can come from anyone now, which is, is both I love, but also uh, I, I miss uh, too when, when certain, I guess the news was always manipulated, but it also kind of used to come from uh, one, I shouldn't say the news, but just authority and, and intellectualism seemed to come from one source and now it comes from all sorts of places, which is great, but it's really hard to filter. This is Frederick Tamagi. Uh, I want to begin tonight's presentation with a couple of personal stories. These stories may remind you of similar stories uh, in your own history, perhaps even from the history that you lived out today. Someone very wise once told me that a possible way to understand ourselves is to see life as a gigantic narrative where the plot is mostly unknown but where our personal stories are both the prose and the poetry. And like most prose and poetry, we sometimes create the story very intentionally. And sometimes we just experience its creation. The personal stories that I'm gonna share with you are definitely of the second kind. Now, the first story began many years ago in the hospital where my daughter was born. Due to some unfortunate circumstances from a previous pregnancy, my wife was under the care of a medical team specializing in high-risk pregnancy cases. For months, my wife was closely monitored, but thankfully, we found ourselves in that hospital room at full term with labor vigorously underway. It was a shared room, and in the next bed was a young woman who was also under the care of the high-risk team because she was pregnant for the first time and because she had a moderate form of cerebral palsy. We'll call her Grace. My wife's high-risk status was most serious during the period leading up to full term, but Grace's high-risk concerns were centered on a possible danger to both child and mother during the labor and delivery process. This was due to the potential for spasms and other complications connected to her cerebral palsy. Now, during the hours leading up to the delivery, the two girls bonded in a way that, frankly, only mothers with children at risk might understand. In our case, everything went well, and we are still blessed to have delivered a beautiful daughter. Uh, Grace had some challenges, however, during her delivery, including a temporary stoppage of her breathing. Uh, but thankfully, she too delivered a beautiful baby girl, very healthy. However, because of her delivery complications, Grace was moved to another section of the hospital. And before she and my wife could exchange proper contact information, they were discharged from the hospital separately and abruptly. And as a consequence, they lost touch. 
Now, I know it's difficult to imagine this, but this was definitely in the pre-smartphone and pre-Facebook era. Almost four years later, we had just moved into a new home in a new subdivision, and one summer day, I was in the front garage straightening out some stuff. Like I said, it was a new subdivision, and consequently, our street had very little vehicle traffic. But as my back was turned to the street, I heard the metallic sound of a bicycle falling to the pavement, accompanied by sounds of alarm from an adult and crying from a child. I immediately turned to look, and right in front of my house was a small tandem bicycle, equipped with training wheels, oddly enough, laying on its side in the road. Beside the bike was a woman and a little girl, both dirty and scraped, picking themselves up from the road. Ran out to them right away to see if I could help, and as the woman turned to acknowledge me, her eyes grew wide when she saw me. She said, Fred, is that you? Well, it was Grace and her four-year-old daughter. Uh, our families never lost touch again after that. The second personal story is a little more recent. Some of you may know that I'm working on an album of original songs. Well, the whole wonderful process started this past spring, and we got the opportunity to record our rhythm tracks at an incredible place called OCL Studios near Chestermere. It's a fabulous studio, but it's on a rural acreage which is only accessible from a secondary gravel road. On the first morning of our recording week, I was a little uncertain as to whether I was, in fact, on the right gravel road. So I stopped for just a few seconds to quickly glance at my Google Maps printout. Then convinced I was, in fact, on the right gravel road, I continued my drive. But one minute later, just as I was reaching an uncontrolled crossroads, partially shielded on the right and the left by a fence and some farm buildings, another vehicle suddenly rocketed out from the road to my right, missing the front end of my vehicle by just a few feet. Out of habit, I remember slowing down a little as I approached the crossroads, but it was clear from his speed that this other driver did not even see me. As the other vehicles sped off into the distance, I sat at the crossroads for a few moments, really shaken and not a little amazed. I thought about those few seconds that I had paused just to look at my Google map, seemingly random few seconds that probably saved me from a serious accident. So, my first questions of the evening are these. Have you ever had something like this happen to you? And if so, have you ever wondered why? Have you ever had anyone say to you that things happen for a reason? And if so, what was your first response? Now, if some of you answered yes to the first question, that similar things have happened to you, no one would be very surprised. If you all search your personal databases, you'll likely remember a few of these incidents. Sometimes these incidents are convenient, like when a parking spot opens up just when you drive up to it. Some are comforting, like when you were thinking of a friend or a loved one, and moments later they called you or sent you a text. Some are a little more challenging, like when you left a fancy restaurant after an expensive meal and then encountered a hungry homeless man digging through a dumpster. That actually happened to me. These strange and random combinations of events always seem to occur with a minimum level of expectation and virtually no concept of connectedness. We don't or can't intentionally cause these random combinations of events to occur, but when it does occur, the outcome will often leave us with a decision as to whether or not the combination of events is truly random. For many of us, 
even most of us, another combination of healthy skepticism and perhaps not so healthy fear of criticism often influence us to uh, reach a safe decision point, a kind of one-size-fits-all category for these intriguing and not so infrequent events. So we end up calling these events coincidence. Well, what is coincidence? Coincidence is a remarkable or unique concurrence of events without apparent causal connection. Hmm. A remarkable concurrence of events with no apparent cause. And we call it coincidence because it is kind of remarkable, isn't it? We call it coincidence because we can't see an apparent cause. We call it coincidence so as not to invent a cause. And perhaps we call it coincidence because it's just safer not to ask why. We can't be blamed for wanting to be on the safe side of this question of coincidence. In the modern tech age, we live in a spectrum, uh, and we're constantly grappling with that spectrum of ideas that runs from completely crazy at one end to completely proven in the middle to completely possible at the other end. Many coincidences affect us deeply enough so that we actually flirt with the notion of a connection that we can't prove. At the same time, the longer we stay in this flirtation without any proof, the greater the possibility that people will see us lurking near the crazy zone. So classifying these unique events as coincidence uh, keeps us safely suspended, uncommitted, and unembarrassed, somewhere between completely crazy and completely possible. With coincidence as our default setting, we avoid the no-win proposition of either providing proof of connection or wearing the crazy pants. This safe suspension of our personal experiences is like the sociological equivalent of political correctness. And actually, like actual political correctness, it's really difficult to leave the safe zone. We have to have a reason to leave. So if the question of coincidence is suspended in the safe zone between completely crazy and completely proven, how do we navigate the spectrum of ideas to accommodate our curiosity? How do we explore a possibly crazy something that may turn out to be completely possible? Well, an exploration like this can only happen if we are, in fact, curious. Oh, and we must be willing to change the question as well. How would the question have to change? Well, the question of coincidence would have to change to the question of synchronicity. Skyscrapers are made of thick, meaty beams are built from galvanized steel and reinforced concrete. They've got optimal resistance to all compression-related stresses. Skyscrapers can withstand winds up to 500 kilometers an hour. You could survive, in theory, by hanging out on one of those stairwells during an F5 tornado. And skyscrapers, they've got ultra-thick glass. I bet it's bulletproof, at least on the executive floors. I bet a rhino would have trouble breaking through. You know the point is, it won't outlast it. One looks no shoulder, the sand should throw it. Punches are making impacts against it. So if you're holding out, you're just holding in. Till some force, someone's gonna see what happens. I get it, I get it, 
got that Jaeger hate and that nice nose. But you won't have lived in towers. It's just the way it goes. Skyscrapers are built to last longer than your life's long stored up stash. Skyscrapers are built to last longer than your average home. Skyscrapers are built to last Longer than your laminated parking pass Skyscrapers, they'll probably last Longer than even the etchings on your granite stone Skyscrapers They got their foundations dug deep down into the bedrock Sometimes up to 200 feet The length of your favorite ice hockey rink and Skyscrapers have never collapsed. You know, saving some intentional acts like systemized implosions or systematic terror attacks. You know, the point is, the point is, long after you've lived and gone, long after you've been past on generations, they've also passed on. Long after everything you've given into it and Dreams you build into your limbs and to it have been forgotten and erased. Skyscrapers leave a trace. But you can't take that out on the cabbie. No, don't spin the space. Don't take it out on a random. Don't take it out on a race. We don't call this the belt line because we won't. All the time, never make nobody's mother cry. Never make nobody's mother cry. Skyscrapers are built to last longer than your laminated parking pass. Skyscrapers are built to last longer than your average home. Skyscrapers are built to last longer than your life's long stored up stash. Skyscrapers, they'll probably last Longer than even the etchings on your granite tombstone um, So one thing I do a lot is I write a song and then find out, or I guess I should say that in, in writing a lot of songs I found out that I write them about things that I don't like uh, in, that I see, but, but also they are uh, sort of like to myself because they're things that maybe I'm guilty of. This song is about like random violence in the street, which I haven't done, but I have had like, you know, violent, rageful thoughts in my head, right? At, at people randomly for no reason. So, uh, so, so this, this kind of like, uh, I think when I write these songs, that's, that's the part I don't realize is that I'm sort of writing them to myself a little bit. And this one was based off of, news article I read, it was maybe about three or four years ago now, um, about a fellow, his name was John Fernando Herrera, and he just was uh, randomly beaten to death, and it was kind of off his center street there. Um, and I didn't really find out e even who the people were. I think it was totally a random, wrong place, wrong time, which uh, inspired this. And uh, I was actually walking by that spot and noticing the skyscrapers and thought about how uh, how uh, long and oppressive they are compared to like 
our short lives. And I thought, well, maybe even just being in this city and having these skyscrapers and the whole like city life like around us all the time makes us so aggressive. I was just trying to explore that. What is synchronicity? Well, synchronicity is a remarkable or unique concurrence of events that are not connected by cause, but may be connected by meaning. I'll just read that again. It's a remarkable or unique concurrence of events that are not connected by cause, but may be connected by meaning. Another way of understanding synchronicity is to shift your focus from the components of what has happened, the cause, to the outcome of what has happened, the meaning. Remember I asked you earlier what your first response is when someone says that mm, things happen for a reason, basically suggesting synchronicity to you. Do you politely deflect the suggestion and just move on? Do you just cynically roll your eyes and move on as well? Or do you stop and consider that the question of synchronicity becomes more provocative as the meaning of any coincidental event becomes more profound? Think about being served a delicious dessert where the ingredients are complex and possibly even secret. Is it a challenge for you to avoid obsessing with the ingredients and simply enjoy the cake? The idea of coincidence helps us rationalize our need to know the ingredients. The idea of synchronicity helps us rationalize that not knowing the ingredients doesn't change the fact that the cake is delicious. The concept of synchronicity was created by the father of analytical psychology, Carl Gustav Jung. Carl Jung and Sigmund Freud, uh, who is the father of psychoanalysis, which is a different thing, are universally considered the two fathers of modern psychiatry and clinical psychology. The question of synchronicity begins with them. Sigmund Freud, born in Austria, and the older of the two by 20 years, was the defining voice of clinical psychology and psychiatry in the late 19th and early 20th centuries. As I said before, Freud is considered the father of psychoanalysis, and perhaps the fastest way to validate his impact on our contemporary lives is to name, but out of necessity not describe, some of the key concepts he created that still shape our modern practices. You'll be familiar with most of them, I'm sure. These are the main Freudian concepts. Free association, transference, repression, fixation, the Oedipus complex, the libido, Freud's basic structure of the conscious and unconscious, the id, the ego, and the superego, defense mechanism, pleasure principle, penis envy. You're all familiar with those terms, I'm sure. In 1886, while studying in Paris and experimenting with the clinical application of hypnosis, Freud developed his groundbreaking clinical method of free association therapy. I couldn't resist showing a picture of uh, his iconic treatment couch. That's where the whole thing of the couch came from. Free association encouraged patients to openly express any ideas, emotions, images, or memories that flowed from their conscious experience, or perhaps as were retrieved from their unconscious experience via dreams or hypnosis. Through free association, Freud's patients shared uh, seemingly disconnected aspects of their psychic life, and he, in turn, would attempt to organize these accumulated disconnections into a possible coherent explanation for their struggle. 
Through what became known as the talking cure, Freud's patients experienced more significant improvements in their neuroses than had ever been seen ever before with previous treatment methods. By 1900, Freud's unique approach to psychotherapy provided the research base for a revolutionary new paradigm of the human psyche. From 1900 to 1920, Freudian psychoanalysis, as it was now called, um, exerted a worldwide influence on the entire field of psychiatry and psychology. Numerous international societies were formed, dedicated to his teachings on psychoanalysis, and many prestigious universities and medical schools taught his theories and practices. Freud's worldwide revolution also created a chair of disciples. One of those disciples was Carl Jung. a Swiss-born psychiatrist and psychotherapist who was both inspired and deeply influenced by Sigmund Freud. From 1907 to 1913, Jung and Freud carried on an intense collaborative relationship and friendship that resulted in Jung becoming the world's most prominent supporters of Freud's psychoanalytic model. Their scientific relationship and personal friendship was so strong that Freud referred to Jung as his adopted eldest son, his crown prince and successor. That's how close they were. But in 1912, Jung's separate research into the human psyche inspired him to write a new book called The Psychology of the Unconscious. It was his first revisioning of the Freudian psychoanalytic model. He would eventually create a different name for this revision model, analytical psychology. The emergence of this new model started a profound conflict between Jung and his famous friend and mentor. Ironically, the conflict and the eventual split, though tragic, didn't diminish either man's stature, but strangely intensified their work in an exponential way. Jung's analytical psychology and Freud's psychoanalysis continue to be the two dual lenses through which modern psychotherapy is viewed. As with Sigmund Freud, Jung contributed his own set of iconic concepts to our modern psychological lexicon, which I again will name, but not describe in detail, at least not yet. These are the main Jungian concepts that you're probably familiar with. The collective unconscious, archetypes, introversion and extroversion, complexes, persona, anima and animus, and individuation. So what does this very short, uh, very superficial history of psychology have to do with the question of synchronicity and the possible alternative uh, to the question of coincidence? Well, I'm about to tell all of you. This is part one of the first presentation on synchronicity. Part two will be continued in the next podcast episode. Thank you for listening. If you're interested in joining the Question community, we meet every third Sunday evening at Redbush Tea and Coffee Company in the Kensington neighborhood of Calgary starting at 7. You can participate in the online discussion on our Facebook page, which is The Question, or on Twitter at TQCom. That's at T-Q-C-O-M-M. Our website is www.thequestion.ca. Thanks again for listening, and remember that our answers are only possible because of our questions.